0: So let's go ahead, we're going to continue our series in Daniel chapter 3, we're going to dive right in. We're going to continue in the book of Daniel, and the public reading of God's word is a really good thing. So what we're going to do now is we're going to read Daniel chapter 3, I'd like you to stand up with me if you can. And uh, Daniel is in the Old Testament, it's a little bit more than halfway through your Bible, and we're going to read Daniel chapter 3 together and it's a it's 30 verses and i will read it out loud follow along on your phone or in your bible if you have a slightly different translation don't sweat it it'll set us up for our message today so first of all let's pray father thank you so much thank you for your word your word is life Um, it is our foundation it is what teaches us about you and i just i bow myself before you And before your word, God, I submit myself to your word. And I pray each of us, whether we're here in the um, building or whether we're on Zoom or listening to this at some point in the future, I pray that we would submit ourselves to you and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and its width six cubits. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent word to the assembled the satraps to the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And then the herald loudly proclaimed To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men. ...of every language. At the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, tire, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe... I'm not sure they have bagpipes. Okay, that's fine. ...all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, at that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, flute, tire, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all sorts of music all the people's nations and men's of every language fell down and worshiped the golden image that nebuchadnezzar the king had set up for this reason at that time certain chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the jews they responded and said to nebuchadnezzar the king "O king live forever you yourself O king have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn flute tire trigon psaltery bagpipe and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image but whoever does not fall down and worship "'shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. "'There are certain Jews whom you have appointed "'over the administration of the province of Babylon, "'namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. "'These men, O king, have disregarded you. "'They do not serve your gods "'or worship the golden image which you've set up.' "'Then Nebuchadnezzar, in in anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you're ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, tire, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image I have made, Very well. But if you will not worship, then you will be immediately cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king." "'But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, "'that we are not going to serve your gods "'or worship the golden image that you've set up.' "'Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, "'and his facial expression was altered "'toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. "'He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated, "'and he commanded certain valiant warriors "'who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego "'in order to cast them to the furnace of blazing fire.' Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and other clothes and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried off Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded. And stood up in haste, he responded and said to his high officials, "'Was it not three men that we cast bound into the midst of the fire?' They answered and said to the king, "'Certainly, O king.' He answered and said, "'Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods.' Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, "'Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here.'" Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the kings of high officials gathered around and saw regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, or even the smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks any offensive thing against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap, insomuch as there is no other god who is able to deliver in this way. And then the king calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. To prosper in the province of Babylon. So Daniel and his friends supported one another. They stayed faithful to the God of Israel. And God honored that. And he raised them up to positions of responsibility in Babylon. I think it's worth noting that even though the first two chapters show that these men had remained faithful and been a testimony for God and were recognized for being faithful to God, that they didn't change, they didn't fundamentally change the Babylonian royal court, did they? In chapter 3, it says the Babylonians erected an idol and demanded everyone worship it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to worship, and the Babylonians went insane. The three men were condemned. They were thrown into a fiery furnace. Their lives were miraculously saved by God's intervention. And then Nebuchadnezzar repented again and promoted them to even more positions of responsibility in the empire. What I want to talk about today is talk about the contrast, the culture of the Babylonian court and culture and nation, contrasted to the attitude and the actions of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then look at what are the applications for our life? How or What are we to learn from this and what should we do? So the first thing I want to make an observation on is the Babylonians, and especially King Nebuchadnezzar, is unmoored. He's unmoored from any sense of morality or any sense of foundation in his life. So what do I mean by using the word unmoored? Unmoored is, means disconnected. and moored means as like an anchor that's come loose from the bottom of the sea, and the ship is just dragging the anchor along the bottom as it drifts into dangerous shoals. So let's take a look at the actions of King Nebuchadnezzar, and we see, we'll see how he was unmoored. After Daniel correctly revealed the dream to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar worshipped Daniel and then honored God. Did you catch that? Nebuchadnezzar is not quite getting it, is he? It says he did homage to Daniel. He worshipped Daniel and then had a nice statement about God. Nebuchadnezzar was wowed. By the miracle, he was wowed by Daniel's feat of interpretation, but the message and the truth did not really sink into Nebuchadnezzar's heart and did not change him. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar quickly forgot his former reverence for God. He authorized the construction of an idol, and then he was enraged against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they failed to bow themselves down and worship the idol. So he went from doing homage to Daniel and proclaiming God's glory to being enraged against these three men when they failed to bow down. And he ordered their execution by being thrown into a fiery furnace. And then, again we're focusing on Nebuchadnezzar, after they were saved by God, Nebuchadnezzar repented again. So he's back and forward, threatening his counselors, praising Daniel, raged against uh, the three men. And then when he sees them being saved, he's back to praising God again. Spoiler alert, Daniel chapter 4 has more bad news for for poor Nebuchadnezzar. Even though he was the king, he was unmoored from the truth. He had no foundation of morality to sustain him and to keep him stable in his life. He could recognize the truth, but he was not connected to the truth. So when he saw Daniel's miracle, he responded. When he saw the miracle of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he responded. The same thing happens in our world today. People they are hungry for truth. Or they do want to see amazing things, and it does cause a big attra- it does cause a big attraction. But unless there is a connection between us. And God through scripture and through the Holy Spirit, it does not stick. Jesus said even if someone was raised from the dead, they still won't believe. We have to be connected. There has to be a solid foundation. Unfortunately, with this back and forth and up and down and bowing to Daniel and screaming in rage, Nebuchadnezzar comes across as kind of vaguely silly in these passages. Ephesians 4.14 says, As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Of course, this is the New Testament, written by Paul, directed at Christians, but this is the passage that came to mind as I was thinking Nebuchadnezzar flapping back and forth in our application. In our lives, are we connected to the truth? Nebuchadnezzar was blown around, He followed the winds of his own pride, of his own lusts, and the popular trends of the day. This is the caution we need for ourselves in our own life. He could recognize the truth, but it did not stick. Is that true of us? Is it true of you? Do you respond to truth and then walk away from it forgetting what the application is to your life? Are you blown around This says winds of doctrine. There's other things that blow us around too, right? So we can be blown around by winds of doctrine, different ways of interpreting the Bible, but there's other things that blow us around from time to time. Cultural winds blow us around. Moral fads blow us around. Are you blown about or are you connected to the foundation of truth through the only reliable understanding of God, which is the Scripture, the Bible, that we must be anchored in. Do not be blown around. So, that's Nebuchadnezzar. Let's take a look at the culture. The the Babylonian culture, at least the culture of the court, is unmoored. This crowd, is there anything… Now, I'm going to make you guys do a little work here with me. As you recall the descriptions we read of the crowd, anything about that passage, about the attitude of the crowd, anything in their reactions or their words, anything stand out to you? Anything at all that you taught? Just yell it out. Tattletales. Very good. Yes. What else was the crowd doing? They all bowed. Big group participation in this pagan activity. They were tattletales. They all bowed. They were goading Nebuchadnezzar on. They wanted, they were screeching for blood. Oh, didn't you say you were going to kill these people? We want blood. Nebuchadnezzar was unmoored. The society was unmoored. And it took very little for Nebuchadnezzar to be nudged away and revert to his pagan roots. When we are unguided by God's word, We, men in general, men and women in general, we are pulled to arbitrary idolatry because of our sinful nature. We are pulled to arbitrary idolatry because of our sinful nature. So why did I use the word arbitrary? Why did I use the word arbitrary? Because the form of the idolatry is different, but the impulse is the same. My sinful nature, your sinful nature These things pull us away from God. We don't have the right to point our fingers at the ancients and their temples and say, look how stupid they are. Look how silly they are. I would never do something like that. If we're honest, if we're honest, we have our own impulses. We have our own idolatrous impulses that will lead us to groupthink, that will lead us to screeching for blood, that will lead us to being tattletales. So I'd like to take a moment. Obviously, as believers, we have a source of hope and peace and strength, and we do have a foundation, but we do, if we're honest, if we're not believers, we don't have that hope. We don't have that source. We don't have that peace. And sometimes, even as believers, we still struggle with idolatrous impulses. So I'd just like to take a moment and ask you, what are the idols in your life? what pulls at your flesh, what pulls at your pride, what pulls at your mind, what things are trying to unmoor you from the security of being founded on God's Word. I can think of things from my own life, petty selfishness, big anxieties, many different things. Let's be honest with ourselves. The crowd was unmoored to God's truth. That led to idolatry. And frankly, hysteria. Hysteria of mass commands for people to bow down to this idol. Hysteria of actually, not only the commands, but actually mass bowing down to an idol when the music played. Bagpipes. Hysteria of rage and violence when their commands were met with noncompliance. Mass commands, mass bowing, mass rage and hysteria. By the way, if rage is the response you get when you're defied, it's a sign of cognitive dissonance. You know what I mean when I say cognitive dissonance? Cognitive dissonance is an inappropriate emotional response because you sort of know something's wrong. And when it's based on moral things, it's like laughing at the wrong time. When someone tells a serious story and you'll laugh, that's maybe an innocent way to do it. But this rage it's a very serious thing. This is a national practice they're instituting through so people's lives. And their rage was an inappropriate response to the disobedience. Honestly, we see this sort of hysteria in our society today. Toxic social media, cancel culture, rioting and looting across our nation. These are things that we should be praying about and asking God for peace. We should be agents of peace in the face of these things, but they are still evidence. This toxicity is still evidence of the fact that our society is unmoored from God's truth. I'll say this simply, rage and violence are not the fruit of a healthy world view. Rage and violence are not the fruit of a healthy world view. So let's contrast this unmoored hysteria with the attitude of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I'm going to continue to make you guys work some this morning. So, what do you notice about the response of these three men to this hysteria that was directed at them? Any thoughts? Fearless. Calm. Calm. Very good. Faithful. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Very good. Balance? Good, thank you. Excellent responses. Calmness, peace, confidence, faith. Was there anxiety? I mean, I had the picture. They could, Nebuchadnezzar barely got the words out of his mouth and said, here, you guys have another chance. We're like, forget it. We don't need it. We don't need another chance. We hear you. We understand what you're saying, and we're willing to face the consequences here. What enables that calmness, that peace, that confidence, that faith. What enables it? Again, make you work. What is it? Respect. Respect. Thank you. Good. What else? Trust in God. God. Thank you. Faithfulness Faithfulness and passing smaller tests. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. Excellent answers. Faithfulness. Faith, fear of God. Oh, there's something else, too, which is, is notable. is These men had the opportunity. They were together. You know, Daniel, had, they'd come in with Daniel. Daniel's not discussed in this story. But these three men had the, uh, the advantage and the strength of standing in unity and fellowship with one another. Strengthening, encouraging one another. Maybe sideways glances, saying, you can do this. It's going to be fine. God's going to come through. This sense of fellowship, this sense of encouragement is also necessary and that's why we are a body together to encourage and support one another i thought it was worth repeating and finding the passage in the old testament this is the baseline of what shadrach meshach and abednego knew very well leviticus 26 1 do not make idols or set up carved images or sacred pillars or sculpture stones in your land so that you may worship them i am the lord your god i wouldn't be surprised if that verse was thundering through their heads as they were being commanded and people were screeching in their face they feared god and they confidently and peacefully refused to bow to an idol and how did they do this they were faithful in little things they were also anchored to the truth these three men were anchored to the truth whereas the culture and nebuchadnezzar were unmoored the truth and their faithfulness it changed their character it changed their life. It gave them the strength they needed to obey. So again, as a point of application for ourselves, we're going to ask again, what are your idols? David, what are my idols? We don't have a right to point. We admire these guys. We want to imitate them. But first we need to, imit- we need to identify the things in our own life that are going to unmoor us from the truth and then turn our hearts and our minds And our bodies towards scripture and towards faithfulness to God. We have our own idols. Could be many different things money, power, moral fads, relationships, health, the conveniences that we enjoy as prosperous Americans. All these things. Do not let them unmoor you. I'd just like to take a moment and point out he said these Chaldeans came forward and they brought charges. There are certain Jews. These men, O king, have disregarded you. God's people have been special targets of evil men throughout scripture and throughout history. God's faithful men. And they provoke rage. And they're persecuted simply by obeying God. And note, they're persecuted for obeying God and for honoring Jesus, not because we're idiots or jerks or obnoxious. They are persecuted when they do what is right. There's many, many other examples throughout history and many of you could probably speak eloquently on these things, martyrs throughout history that have been killed, women like Corrie Ten Boom and Harriet Tubman that stood for what was right and feared God. You should read the story of Harriet Tubman sometime. Her Christian faith, her desire to see the gospel propagated is amazing. There's, there's people in recent, in recent decades, and, and now in communist countries decades ago, and it's Other authoritarian or restrictive societies now, people that risk their lives to take Bibles into restricted countries. These people have confidence because they are moored, they're anchored to the truth. They want to do the right thing, and they want to glorify God. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had faith in God. They were confident that God would protect them, but they were also willing to take no for an answer from God not from not from Nebuchadnezzar but from God facing the prospect of an unanswered prayer did not shake them what would it take in my own heart what would it take in your heart for you to say lord you can say no to this prayer i'm still going to do what's right if you don't take anything else home with you today and think about what would it take what would it say about your connection to the truth If you can say to the Lord honestly, Lord, you can say no to this prayer. I'm still going to do this. I'm still going to glorify you. I'm still going to serve you. I'm still going to put my life on the line. This peace, this confidence, this is evidence of a healthy worldview. Peace in the face of suffering. So on the one hand, rage and violence in the face of defiance or peace. Peace in confidence. Which one do you want? Which one typifies you? Which one ought to typify you? I know which one I want. I want the peace. I want the confidence of being anchored to God's truth, anchored to God's word, anchored in my relationship with Jesus Christ, so that I can say to you, Lord, you're, I mean, not that he needs my permission, but in my own heart, I'm settled. Lord, you can say no, and I'm still going to serve you. Pretty amazing, pretty amazing. Their response of these three men reminds me of Proverbs 28, 1. It says, The wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous were as bold as a lion. These three men were bold as a lion. And my slide is unmoored from the truth. So, simple question. As I asked before, what do you want to typify your life? To be anchored means that we fear God. We're willing to suffer. And I'll add this, because Jesus added this. We fear God, we're willing to suffer, and we love our enemies. We fear God, we're willing to suffer, and we love our enemies. That is the evidence of a healthy worldview. Not rage, not arbitrariness, not violence. Very briefly, we haven't had a chance, so we won't have time to dive into it in any kind of detail. The amazing rescue Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The miracle of the fourth man in the furnace, is a, it's an image of Christ. It's an image of his role and his protection in our, in our lives. It's an image of the Holy Spirit filling us and protecting us from spiritual warfare. It's an image of Christ's role. It's an image of God's intervention. It reminds me of the verse that Keir shared last week, Proverbs 50, 15. It says, call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will honor me. Maybe that was another verse that was thundering through the minds of those men as they were being tied up and thrown into the furnace. Lord, what now? He rescued them in an amazing way and then prophesied on what he was going to do for us and for his bride, the church, in the future. So let's meditate on the application. In conclusion, we're going to meditate on the application of this passage to our own lives. 1 Peter 4 Verse 12 says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's come upon you as if something strange were happening to you, but rejoice as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Do not be surprised, saints, brothers, sisters, do not be surprised or enraged at the unmoored hysteria of culture. Rather, recognize it, have pity on it even as the predictable effect of sin in the life of a nation in our own lives. But rather, peacefully, joyfully, lovingly have faith in God that He will glorify Himself through us as we're tested. Let's pray. Father, have mercy on us I, again, I submit myself to you, almost trembling, to know how you might test me, but I pray that you would indeed reveal to me and reveal to every person that's listening right now. Reveal to us the areas where we maybe are still susceptible, where we're unmoored, where we're not connected to your truth. God, have mercy on us. And I just I want to echo the prayer that, Lorraine prayed. Lord, give me an easy test, please, because um, I don't necessarily enjoy the idea of being pinched and pounded and... and uh, burned. God, reveal to us the areas where we need to be faithful to you. Teach us, give us grace to repent. Help us to embrace your truth so that we're willing to suffer for you, love for you, as we labor in your kingdom to build your gospel. To labor in your gospel to build your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.